How many thinks Jesus is good at finding that which is lost? And uh, so today I just want to talk about Saul of Tarsus real quick. Watching, uh, Here he is watching um, Stephen be stoned on the right there with the coats of all the people there. That was chapter 7, right? And then Stephen being stoned there, uh, people are pelting him in the head as he's kneeling down. Uh, that is the first uh, slide there. And then, uh, of course, uh, Saul is on his way to Damascus, the first verse of chapter 9. Uh, Saul of Tarsus breathing out threats, breathing out threats. It wasn't like he was snorting, you know, like some uh, hostile, wild stallion. Uh, actually, he was. Uh, it was uh, second nature to him to do this. He was committed to this. He, he lived and breathed this. That's what that means. He's breathing out threats. He, he took it upon himself passionately to rid, to rid uh, Judaism and, and the Jews from these people of the way, these Jesus people. So very passionate. But how many know you can be passionate and be passionately wrong? You can be so sold out to something, committed to something, a God-fearing Jew as he was, very intellectual. And we'll try to get into his story today a little bit, pick it up next week if you don't mind. Uh, we'll just keep on going because this is probably one of the biggest topics uh, past the resurrection and the Holy Spirit coming. I mean, know oh, the salvation of Saul of Tarsus is a big deal, a big deal. And so I want to give it time. And uh, and if you and if you have your Bibles, you can look at chapter nine. Uh, and uh, this guy goes from persecutor to preacher. God knows how to save. And he still knows how to save. Amen. And so you never know, Phil, who he's going to, uh, you know, God saved you, Kim, your family. Then he calls you into ministry, you go into mission field, you go to Papua New Guinea, and then somebody gets saved over there. They're in Bible school, and now they're going to affect change and transformation is going to happen in, in, in Papua New Guinea uh, because you were willing to go. Now they got saved. Now they're willing to go. So, so this chain keeps going. How I many know oh, God has a plan? God has a plan to win the world. So he takes this. This guy who's causing havoc in the church, he lays him flat on his back, blind him. So, so he's on his way to Damascus, 160 miles away, north of Jerusalem. And uh, he, he has a divine encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Christ. The one he hates. He's going to Damascus to be arresting people, but Jesus arrested him. I mean, oh, something happened in this story to turn the tables. And I believe in a divine appointment. God had his number. And if you're here today without Jesus, I mean, oh, God has your number too. And you can run and you can do this and you can do that. And you can waste your life thinking you're doing the right thing when all wrong things are happening. But God knows how to stop you in your tracks just as he did this. And here is Saul. Here is Saul of Tarsus. Jesus is there. He, he. He he falls to the ground. Not only him, but all the other seven were with him. An entourage goes with him. He had a mob. He had a mob. It was a mob mentality. They were going over there, and they got papers from the priest, the high priest, right? He wanted to get legal authority. He, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He had his vote in there against these people of the way, and he was going to go. So he goes to the high priest. He gets the orders and the papers, and, and uh, he makes it all legal. I'm going to bring them back. Women and he made an emphasis, Luke in writing, made an emphasis, not just men, women too. Anybody who's following Jesus 
is on his hit list. It's a big deal here. And so uh, later on, Ananias uh, has to step up. How many know God commissioned more than Paul that day? Commissioned Ananias. There's somebody else's part of your story. Well, I feel like preaching this. (laughs) When you got saved, somebody else was part of that salvation story. Does anybody know that redemption always wins? That you didn't even know you were going to come into the kingdom, but God had somebody praying for you. How many had parents or grandparents praying for you, and that's how you know that you know that that's how you came in because you didn't stand a chance? Let me see your hand. Somebody prayed you in. There you are. How many had a friend, a co-laborer, worker, somebody witness to you? Come on, let me see. Somebody else. See, somebody else was praying for you, helping you, but the truth is that sovereign God had a plan all along. And it's important that the church realize, the church right here, that's our early church, but this church, 2,000 years later, realizes that there's a plan, that God has a plan for the redemption of the whole world, and you're part of it. God has a plan for the redemption of America, and you're part of it. God has a plan for the redemption of your family, and you're part of it. God has a plan for the redemption of the people you work with, and you're part of it. So God's not just doing this thing without the church. He don't need the church, but he wants to utilize the church, right? And so this is the text. We may not get very far. We'll get as far as we go. We'll call for an altar because something's happening here. Transformation is happening from from a persecutor of the church to a preacher in the church. Powerful day in the kingdom of God, the day Saul of Tarsus gets saved. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 9. And uh, we'll read on. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a whole lot here. But um, let's watch him get saved. All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks. This is, in the, this is in the message. I just want you to get it clearly, clearly. Breathing down the necks of the master's disciples. He was out for the kill. He went to the chief priests and got arrest warrants to take them to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off, and when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, 20 miles out, 140 miles into his journey, almost to town, and he's suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Or the King James, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? There's a whole lot to unpack right there. First of all, Saul, Saul. Anytime the Bible says Saul, Saul, or repeats something twice, I mean, oh, there's emphatic emphasis there. Uh, Simon, Simon, right? When Jesus says your name twice, you ought to listen. If, if Jesus says your name twice, you ought to listen. Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. Saul. Saul, Ronnie, Ronnie. Y'all don't know Ronnie, but that was me. I was Saul of Tarsus. Uh, Nowhere near Paul, but I was just as guilty as this guy, and so were you. How many know all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? If you have unsaved loved ones, if you're here and you're not saved, if if you were born in church, you still needed to be saved. Amen? So uh, he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you? Persecuting me. And he said, Who are you, Master? How I many know that's a great first line? 
because he thought he was big and bad, and he really in the in the Judaism world he was he was pretty awesome man. We'll get to his life. In fact, that's all we're going to get to today is an introduction to Saul of Tarsus, because you really can't know Paul unless you know Saul. And many many people on the pew today have no idea who Saul was. It seems really irrelevant. But how many know if you know who he was, then you know who he is. Yeah, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find out some details about this man. Wow, what a great day for the kingdom of God. Amen? And so, so, so uh, man, he just watched Stephen get killed, and now he's watching the one Jesus that was, was being talked about by Stephen. Hey, Saul thought he was going to get the best of Stephen, but Stephen got the best of Saul. And everything Stephen said to Saul, Saul had to think about, contemplate, and deal with. That's called witnessing. That's called talking about Jesus and telling the truth. Whether you have a feeling that somebody's receiving what you've got to say at the moment or not, keep on saying it because God has a plan. Amen? And in the right time, he'll work it out. I am Jesus, so I just stop right there. Just three, three little words. Jesus responds and says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Hey, Saul, I'm the one. I'm the one they're following. I'm the one that died for all of them, including you. And so you think you're bad with your Roman outfit? You think you're something with all of your knowledge of the law? You think you could actually be transformed and saved by keeping the law? I'm here to tell you. Today is your day. You will progress no further as Saul. This is it, buddy. You're not as big as you thought you was. Arrogance and pride. Man, his sin? His sin? Spiritual arrogance. Religious, pharisaical pride. Oh, my goodness, it's worse than pride itself. I'm Jesus, the one you're hunting down, and I want you to get up and enter the city. There's a lot left out there. I'll fill in the gaps. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. Well, his companions stood there dumbstruck, and they could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone, while Saul picking himself up off the ground. I mean, that's a good place to finally get saved. You know when people finally get saved? When they're flat on their back. And, and, and arrogance keeps people from the kingdom. Arrogance, pride, it keeps people from saying yes to Jesus. He knew more than Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I'll settle this right now. Well, he met him right there. Right there. And he, and he found himself stone blind. And they had to take him by the hand, lead him into Damascus. This blows my mind, folks. I don't know why I'm feeling weepy or overwhelmed. But but I got to tell you, this strong man who's saying everybody's blasphemy and, and he's got the right answers and he knows everything and he's going over there to take care of them and I'll haul them off to the Sanhedrin and my vote is against them. I'm the man. And now he's being led like a little lamb blind, can't even see anything in front of him. Can I tell you, when you meet Jesus, you must die. 
You die to self and you live for him. There's no other way. How many know your will to live and your will to do your thing is over when you're confronted with Jesus? And this is what it just gets me because he continued blind for three days. He ate nothing. He drank nothing. He was blown away. And there was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And the master spoke to him in a vision. Can I just say that Jesus talks to everybody involved? Okay? The Lord's going to prepare Ananias to be ready to speak to Saul. Because Saul wasn't the most popular, voted number one in the church. He's killing. He's threatening. He's watching them get stoned and taking great pleasure in it. And now he's being led like a little lamb. Who's in charge now, Saul? Yes, Master, Ananias said. Who's really the master? Who's really the man of God? Ananias or Saul? Ananias, just a simple man of God in the church. And the voice of the Lord spoke, and immediately he says, Yes, Master. How many know that is somebody who understands the Lordship of Jesus Christ? He's not just a Savior. He's not just here to save you so you can sit on the pew and do whatever you want with your life and live your life any way you want. How many know Jesus commands your heart and your life? All of it. I want it all, he says. Your life is over, Saul. You need to be more like Ananias over here. Yes, Master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. How many know Jesus knows the whole plan? The Holy Ghost has the plan. Somebody just needs to be willing to listen to the plan. His name is Saul. And he's there. I underline it. I underline it because it, to me it's pretty important. And what's old Saul doing now, folks? Breathing out threatenings? Remember, he's a God-fearing Jew. He thinks he's doing the right thing, worshiping Yahweh. So he's, he knows the Old Testament and the law like nobody's business. Impeccable when it came to the law. Trained in the school of Gamaliel as an infant boy growing up in Judaism. At 13, he goes over to Jerusalem and he studies with the greatest of Jewish theologians. He, nobody knows what Paul knows, Saul. But he ain't that big of a deal now. I mean, no, intellect is not going to get you into the kingdom. You can be smart as you want. You can read the Bible and quote the Bible back and forth, but if you're not going to live for God and do his will, I mean, no, you're up a creek without a paddle. So ask, and here he is, he's praying, and he, he has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see. So, so in the spirit, this one couple of verses here, in the spirit, a lot of things are happening. On one end of uh, the first part of chapter 9, Saul is now being transformed by a great light. He's knocked down along with all the other guys with him who are going to go and take these people of the way. And they're laying down. Now he's being led like a little lamb, blind, helpless, hopeless situation. He has no power. He's, he's, he's been emptied. He's been emptied of all of his power, control, and warrant for arrest. Now he's walking around. Now he's praying. And, and God gives him a dream. He sees Ananias enter the house and lay hands. And he, so God gives Ananias a dream to tell him that, that Paul's praying and he's having a dream. So everything, everything's going. You, you understand what's going on. God is showing him everything. Ananias protested. I mean, ever 
had God asked you something and you protest? Come on now. Anybody going to be honest with pastor this morning? Anybody here, God said, I need you to do this, and you said, hold on, Lord. Here I am, send my brother. Here I am, Lord, send my, send Max. Send Max. Send Phil. Send Phil. And I hear people say it all the time, Pastor, I just, you know, I'm not called to children's ministries. Well, who is? I have enough parenting. You want me to watch your kids too? Nobody's called. You're called to Jesus. I mean, no, your calling is to Jesus. Whether you work with youth or whether you work with children or whether you work in the mission field or you pastor Old Grove, you're called to serve Jesus. Now, wherever your assignment might be, that's one thing. And I know there's a vocational call. Okay? It's not a career for the Rojacks. How many know it's a calling for the Rojacks? Very faithful at it. And now look at the, the consequences of your faithfulness. Your daughter's now rising up. Hey, the Julians, look at the consequences of your faithfulness to Oak Grove. All these many years, your kids are in the kingdom. What? Working and serving. They watched you, and they replicated. Here or there, they gave their whole life to the king. So... And I said, no, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing, his reign over terror, uh, of terror against his people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests. It's really official. It gives him a license to do the same thing to us. But the Master said, <laughs> but the Master said, why are you kicking against the prick? <laughs> right, right, what are you don't argue. Just go. I'm going to really borrow that from the master. I'm going to borrow. And when I was parenting when they were little, I should have probably borrowed that. How many of you said, don't ask kids, just do what I say? Anybody ever tell your children that? Good parenting 101. How many of your kids ever ask why? Ellie's in the why stage. Why? Why, Poppy? Why, Poppy? I have no idea, Ellie. I have no idea. Um, and so, and so, it's okay to ask why. In fact, I'll say right now, it's okay to hesitate. Moses hesitated. Remember? Hey, Moses, I want you to go <laughs> from the backside of this desert where I put you. Does anybody believe God, sovereign God, places, has a plan for your life? And places you in certain seasons and certain places for you to be trained and prepared so you can get ready to go other places? And if you, will, if you will walk with that without hesitation, you'll be better off. But we all hesitate. So Moses said, but God, I don't know how are you going to use me. And God said, Moses, Moses. Remember that? Remember he said, Moses, Moses. Yeah, he said his name twice too. Just in case you want to go and do a study on the names that he said twice. Moses, Moses, don't you know that I gave you your tongue? Don't you know I can straighten out your speech? But since you want to use it as a valid excuse, I'll give you your brother, your brother Aaron. He's smarter than you anyway. Moses hesitated. Uh, Gideon, Gideon, remember that guy? God's man of faith and valor. He was hiding in the wine press. 
And God said, hey, hey, man of, man of valor, come on out. Me? Yeah, yeah, mighty mouse, come out of the closet. I'm going to use you. <laughs> I could go on, but we don't have time. He said, go, don't argue, go. I've picked him up and, uh, as my personal representative. So here's the plan. So God, God is telling Ananias the plan he has for Saul, who's now Paul. See that? We're just reading the text. This is going to be good next week. Don't miss it. Um, I've picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews, to kings, and to Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with the job. Uh, Pastor Phil mentioned it earlier. If you think being on the, on the mission field is a picnic in the Pacific, you're absolutely confused. If you think pastoring, we were joking this morning, uh, if you think pastoring is that he preaches once a week, what's he do, fish all week, play golf, preaches on Sunday, that's all pastor does? How many of you know there's some silly people who believe that? Just follow me a day. I'll help you see. I will give you pastor's eyes. So Ananias went and found his house, placed this, this house, the house, placed his hands on blind Saul, blind Saul. I love it. And said, hey, look at this. I had to underline it. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He was no more a brother than the man on the moon. He just got saved, the murderer. What was his sin? Spiritual pride and arrogance. Self-righteous pride. What was his other sin? Murder. So the one, the one who kept the law of Moses impeccably couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. Here he is. He thinks he's the man. I'm going to kill those people in the way. That's called murder. Hey, Mr. Mr. Doctorate degree in, in Judaism, what happened to the Tenth Commandment, one of the commandments there? Thou shalt not kill. You, you missed something there, blind Saul. But Brother Saul, what a feeling that Paul must have gotten. Comes in and hears, hey, Brother Paul. Saul, actually. Because I think Ananias is still, hey, brother, oh, I hope you're a brother. Hey, Saul, I hope you're a brother. Because yesterday you stole my friend Stephen, and today you're at my house. Uh, so, Brother Saul, the master sent me. How about them apples? You're not the only one the master's sending. The master sent me. The same Jesus you saw on your way here, he sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So some scholars say that he didn't see Jesus. But I, I think he saw. I, I know he saw a light, a light so bright, Jesus blinded him, so he had some time to think about it. You know, there's people who know everything, and it's hard for them to get saved. They're smarter than God. So God knows how to humble you, humiliate you, bring you down, where all you can do is say, help me, Lord. Who are you, Lord? He said. Who are you, Lord? What Saul is saying is, I don't really know who you are, but you are one powerful person. I hear your voice, but I can't even. Jesus? Jesus? Is that you? Stephen talked about you. But I didn't believe none of it. 
okay? No sooner, no sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got to his feet and he was baptized and he sat with them to a hearty meal. That's how I know it was Assembly of God Pentecostal Church. <laughs> oh, the Apostle Paul. Man, I don't want to go any further. I just read the text. And the text is slapped full, slapped full. How many like to come back next week and break it down? Well, this is what I'll break down for you. It's a heavenly contact. He came into a divine confrontation. The powerful conviction hit the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about it next week. A powerful conversion took place. We'll talk about it next week. And Paul's great commission. That's it. That's it. Tori, if you want to come back, I, uh, I just want to say that when Jesus confronts you, he speaks truth. He is truth right in front of you. Today, if you're here, you've been running from Jesus. Don't run. Don't argue. Don't fight. The conversation went something like this. Why? Why are you persecuting me? It's hard, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What he's talking about is, uh, is uh, one, one version says goads. Goads, not goats. Goads. G-O-A-D-S. What is a goad, Pastor? A goad is, uh, is a stick with a nail on the, on the end of it, much like a cowboy would have spurs, you know, to get the horse to, to move on his boots. Uh, uh, so the oxen, so to get the oxen to move, I mean, oxen don't always want to do what we need them to do. So they would have a goad, and they would take, and they would go. You ever been to a circus where they take the elephants and make the elephants go? And, and some trainers are very cruel. So don't call PETA and have me arrested, okay? I'm in mourning right now because of the little bear that died in Springfield this week. So don't, don't call PETA on me right now. But uh, they, would, they would goad them. They'd poke them. They'd poke them. Not to bleed them, not to kill them. They just poke them to get them to go. You know what? I feel like God ought to give me a goad. As a pastor, I think a pastor has what he calls a, a, a shepherd's staff, right? Shepherd's staff. I just need to put a nail on the end of it. That's all. I, I just <laughs> Because sheep do the craziest things or don't do anything. Sheep are hard to manage. And oxen are even harder. Donkeys, people, they all have a stubborn streak. So, the, so, so he's saying, hey, hey, Saul, why are you kicking? Don't you know that, that when you resist, when you resist, this is our altar this morning. When you resist, I goad you. But it don't hurt me, it hurts you. If you, if you wouldn't resist, you wouldn't be goaded. And, and and I can see sympathy in Jesus. He says, this hurts you, bud. It's hurting you. This is killing you. Hey, Saul, you have issues, man. And you're kicking against all the times the Holy Spirit spoke to you. You, you blasphemed Stephen and watched him die. All the people I sent your way, all the messages I gave you, all the times the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you turned it away. You turned it away. They call that rebellion. But I got something to tell you today. To obey is better than getting goaded. Better than sacrifice. Get poked all the time. That's not the way to follow Jesus, folks. If, 
if Jesus to get you to do something, you have to be poked all the time. To get you to worship today, they say, come on, come on, clap your hands, raise your hands, stand up, sing, please, somebody, honor the Lord with just a voice. I mean, no, we don't need to be a cheerleader. You ought to be praising God because you love him, not because... Living for Jesus is not to be goaded all the way. But Paul found something in his conversion experience. Who are you, Lord? And the second question, what do you want me to do for you? Miss Melissa got saved at one altar where God saved her and commissioned her at the same altar. This is what happened. She gave her his, she gave him her heart and her whole life. You understand that? He was not only my Savior in that moment, but he is my Lord. What do you want me to do? Would you stand with me this morning? We'll unpack all of this. Did you enjoy just the intro? Come on, did you enjoy just the intro? Can you imagine when we unpack the life of the Apostle Paul? I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'll give you a little glimpse of the background to Saul next week, and we'll go into Paul who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, who transforms the world as we know it, the church as we know it. A big day in the kingdom of God. But maybe this morning there's some of you who might think like some of the others in the church, there's no hope for somebody like Saul of Tarsus. Have you ever, have you ever counted somebody out like that? Have you ever said, There's no hope for Biden. I don't even know his first name. But he's our president. Have you ever said that? There's no hope. There's no hope for him. There's no hope for Jeffrey Dahmer who cut people up in little pieces and put them in ice chests. Did you know he got saved in jail? And died on death row? But he he didn't die a prisoner. He died a born-again believer. Is that possible, Pastor? How could they let this Saul of Tarsus, this murderer in the church? How'd they let you in? Is anybody here glad for the awesome grace of God? Come on, lift your hand to the Lord. Oh, how faithful. I want you to go back to the day you said, yes, Lord. You can have my life. You can have my heart. If you're here today. I want our prayer partners to come real quick because somebody here might need a miracle. They might need a healing. We already said Chrissy needs a healing. She's sick that she's sick. She can't be here for tonight. And I want you to come tonight. It's going to be a great night. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. Then we're going to eat pizza. We're going to have fellowship. We are the church. And listen to me, as long as I'm pastor, every wicked murderer, idolater, Sinner, they're all welcome to walk into the door of this house. Just like you was the day you was lost. But I want you right now, just lift your hands and uh, let's recommit ourselves. Father, you saved me. You saved me. But I want you to recommission me. I want to be able to see. Because, Lord, the story teaches us there's hope. For people that are hard cases. 
There's hope for our loved ones. There's hope for our friends. There's hope for our co-workers. There's hope for people who've prayed all of these years for their family and they're still not saved. And we're tempted to stop praying for some people. We reach a place where we're discouraged and we're doubting whether you're ever going to save them. And this story reminds us that you love sinners. It reminds us it's never too late. It reminds us as long as there's breath in Jesus, there's hope. The Bible is a God of grace, a love and mercy. He'll save anybody, anywhere, anytime who will come to him by faith. And we think nothing is happening. God is always working to bring the lost to faith. If you have family members that are not saved, you've been praying for them. Friends. Somebody's on your hit list. I would like for you to bring them to the altar. You can go to one of these prayer partners or you can just bring them to the altar yourself. If you have somebody you've been praying for, even if they're tough cases. Oh, Pastor Ron, you don't know about my Uncle John. My Uncle John never going to. I had an Uncle John too. I had an Uncle John too. If he gets saved, I'm going to be amazed. But he's no one is beyond the grace of our Lord. If you have any family members that need Jesus, you have any friends, any co-workers you're willing to believe God for on, on their behalf, on their behalf, if you're willing to pray and intercede and trust God on behalf of somebody who needs Jesus, I want you to join me. I want you to join me. God loves the lost. We're going to worship. You come and pray.